Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, first of all, thank you to Tova for all her work. And when Mrs. Pransky says that you don't have, you don't, you don't get to see how she has to deal with us all behind the scenes. She was right on, and I highly doubt Mrs. Pransky knows how much I drive Tova crazy. So um, <laughs> I have to thank her again. And um, so thank you for putting this all together. And I see that there are more classes coming up. And Baruch Hashem, it's um, really amazing. And it's a chus to learn with you all. Um, okay, so tonight we are going to speak about self-actualization in isolation. And I would like to connect this to um, tomorrow tomorrow night's um, coming up of Lagba Omer. And um, actually... I was planning when Tova first asked me and we decided on a title, I was already planning to speak about the concept of pnimius. I will have to explain what that word means in a few minutes. It might not be so easy. Um, but the concept of the inner nature of a human being and the inner nature of Torah. And then when I realized the proximity to Lagba Omer, I thought that it's so fitting and um, I think one will just augment our understanding of the other. Okay, so I heard a story recently that touched me and I think is um, a great entrance into what we're going to speak about tonight. Um, the Tzemach Tzedek, who was the third Rebbe of Lubavitch, grew up in his grandfather's house, the house of the Balhatanya. And um, the story goes that when he was a young boy, the, his grandfather was seeing Hasidim and was sitting with one individually and the little Tamach Tzedek ran into the room, jumped on his grandfather's lap, and looked at the Chassid and said with pride, Das is mein Zedi. This is my Zedi. And the, um, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot the best part. Sorry, he jumped on his grandfather's lap, pulled at his grandfather's beard, and said, Das is mein Zedi. This is my Zedi. And the Balatanya looked at his grandson and said, No, name, no, Das is mein beard. This is my beard. And the Tzemach Tzedek looked all perturbed, and he patted on his grandfather's stomach, and he said, Das is mein Zedi. This is my Zedi. And the Balatanya turned to him and said, No, Das is mein Boich. That is my stomach. And finally, the Tzemach Tzedek grabbed his face in between his two little hands, looked in his eyes, and said, Das is mein Zedi. This is my Zedi. And the Balatanya said, Nein, Das is mein Ponim. This is my face. And the little Tamach Tzedek, all dejected, jumped off his lap and started running out of the door. But, as you can imagine, in terms of who he grew up to be, he was precocious. And when he got to the door, he pretended to close his fingers in the door, and he started to scream. And the Balatanya jumped up and started running towards his grandson. And the Tamach Tzedek stopped crying, looked at him, and smiled, and said, Das is mein Zedi. This is my Zaidi. The Valatania was trying to teach his grandson a lesson in terms of identity and how we look at people and things, and as all lessons really are supposed to be, how we look at Hashem. And sometimes we get confused as to who Hashem is, and we identify him, Lahavdil, obviously, by his beard or his, even his face, which is obviously something that does reveal somewhat of the inside. But then we get those moments where we get to actually see the reality of who someone is inside. And that's what I would like to speak about tonight, that concept of who someone really is inside and trying to tap into that. So um, we sometimes have a hard time finding ourselves. And the question really is why and what there is to do about it. Meaning, how do we give ourselves the opportunity to find who we are and really develop it? So the part of ourselves that we're going to focus on is what is called pnimius. Now, pnimius is directly defined as inwardness. Before I looked it up, I we were trying to think of a word. And um, I kept saying, I think that the direct definition would be innerness. That is obviously not an English word. So, um, but then when I was um, looking something up on Lagba Omer, I saw that someone titled like a sheer innerness, which I thought was funny, which only reflects the fact that it's a very hard thing to define. 
Um, but once we get a good picture of what panemios is, I would like to use the Hebrew word because it means so much more than a one-word English definition. So there is panemius in Torah and there is panemius in people. Our focus today is really, in terms of our intention, going to be the second. It's going to be panemius in terms of the person. But in order to get there, um, and also because of Lagba Omer coming up, um, I would like to speak about panemius in Torah first. And really, you always have to do that because we have to really understand ourselves within reality. And Torah is reality. So let's start there. I'm going to start a little highfalutin, but don't worry. <laughs> I will bring it down more practical in terms of our sex self, self-actualization in isolation. And um, my message will definitely not be that anyone should learn Kabbalah. So if you're getting that impression in the middle, make sure you stay to the end. <laughs> okay. Lagba Omer is the yard site, which means the day of the passing of Rav Shem Bar Yochai. Rav Shem Bar Yochai was a great Tana in all parts of Torah but is most well-known, especially at this time of the year, as the father of Kabbalah, as the author of the Zohar. Kabbalah is the hidden part of Torah, the part of Torah that is not supposed to be learned in public, that there are restrictions upon learning, and we'll get to that and why. And and Rav Shem Bar Yochai is known as the father of Kabbalah, or the father of what we call Torah's Hasod, the secret aspect of Torah. Now, we don't really learn Kabbalah, and I don't advise it. So what does his Yorzeit and this part of Torah have to do with me? He is really connected to this hidden part of Torah that we don't have a connection to. But maybe we do, even if we don't learn it directly. So I'd like to quote, um, start with a quote or an idea that the Ari presents, also a great Makobal, obviously way after Shimon Bar Yochai. And um, I would end try and understand that quote coming from a great Kabbalistic master um, and, again, what it has to do with us. So the Ari says, and uh, actually a very famous um, letter or uh, mimer, a very famous writing that we have um, from his students, directly from him, that it is an essential part of everyone's mission in this world to, to connect to all levels of Torah learning and he lists them, the four levels of Torah learning that an acronym are known as PARDES, which um, stands for PSHAT, and I will define them in a second, PSHAT, REMEZ, DRASH, and SOD. And again, I'll define those in a minute. The first, PSHAT, REMEZ, and DRASH, make up what we call the revealed Torah, Torah Sanigla, the Torah that is accessible to everyone. And he is clear that one must access all four parts of Torah, not only the Nigla, but also the fourth part, which is called Sod, secret, which is usually explained as Kabbalah, the hidden part of Torah that is only for the elite and is forbidden to be taught to the masses. So it's not accessible to all of us. But he says that if a person does not access all these parts of Torah, he has not fulfilled his mission in this world. So we understand that the Ari himself was a great Kabbalist, but did he really think that this was the calling of every Jew? So let's define the different parts of Torah and understand what the place of Sod, of Kabbalah, of this secret aspect of Torah, is in our lives. So Rav Tzadok HaKohen Milublin asks an obvious question that was made famous by Rabbi Akiva Tatz in Living Inspired, which is, why is Kabbalah called Sod? On the surface, one might think that the reason it's called Sod is because it is a secret, meaning that because it's not allowed to be learned in public and because I, as a very like unknowledgeable person, cannot access it, so it's a secret from me. But as we know, descriptions in Lashon HaKodesh in Hebrew, names of things are not accidents. They are not arbitrary names assigned just to identify. They are essential. And this aspect of Torah is called Sod because it is an internal essential description of what it is. So it doesn't make any sense that it is a secret because in terms of not being able to tell someone else because it's a secret who, to those who don't know it, but to those who do know it, it's no longer a secret, so they should not call it Sod anymore. 
Rav Tzadok answers this by explaining this genre of Torah on a deeper and broader level. And he does it by explaining all aspects of Torah in a specific way. So the Pasuk in Mishlei says, Ki Hashem iten chachma mipiv da'as usfuna. That Hashem gave wisdom from his mouth, um, das knowledge, usfuna, and understanding. And the Medrash says that this is specifically talking about Torah's hanistar, sod, that aspect that we call Kabbalah. What does it mean that Hashem gave it from his mouth? And the Medrash explains, I mentioned this was a Pasuk and Mishra, so the Medrash explains, gives a mashal, which we're obviously going to have to explain. A mashal of a son who comes in to his father, the king, while his father is, at, is eating. And his father is so overcome with love and happy to see him that he offers his son, what can I get you? Meaning, what food from all the foods that I have to offer you would you like? And his son answers, I want that which is in your mouth, meaning the bite that he had. And the Medrash explains that when the first two Dibros, when Hashem told us them, me peeve, okay, we tasted something from the mouth of Hashem. Now, this Medrash, like most Medrashim, needs explanation. What is the significance of the fact that it's from the mouth of Hashem? So we see in just in the Psukim that describe Harsinai that all senses are represented. Okay? We are actually leaving out touch, and why that is is a subject of a different class. But all four other senses are represented. We saw and heard and smelled and even tasted, as we saw, Hashem's presence at the giving of the Torah. Why? Because, as Tzadok explains, those senses correspond to different levels of Torah. Pshat is the obvious and simplest understanding of the Torah. Simple does not mean easy or plain. It means that it is totally represented by the words. There is no need to look elsewhere. If you study the words well enough and are familiar with the corpus of Torah, you should be able to understand the words with clarity. And this corresponds to the sense of sight, re'ia. Sight meaning, sight represents something you can see with absolute clarity. At one glance, it doesn't take putting together or patience, it might take patience to learn Torah, but patience in terms of waiting for something else that's not immediately there. It's attainable, if sometimes challenging. Remez is the second level of Torah, which is literally a hint. It's not a hint is something that is not on the surface or in the plain meaning of the words, but there is something within the words that gives it away. An example of this that we know of would be gematria, meaning a gematria is when each letter has a corresponding numerical value, and there's something about the numerical value that teaches something about the word or about the concept. So the numerical value of the letters gives you a deeper or a new meaning, but the, it's there within the words. He compares this to reach, which means smell, because reach is something, a smell is something that lets you know that something is there, even if you can't see it right away. And it's something that comes from the actual item itself. Drash. Drash is the third level of Torah, which literally means investigation. And drash within Torah means logically discerning more information than what is in the text through specific rules and logical deduction. And this is compared to shmiya, which means hearing. Now, for anyone who knows what drash means, it makes a lot of sense because Drash really is the bulk of the misora of the tradition that's passed from person to person through speech. So to have it correspond to hearing makes a lot of sense. But also in a deeper sense, this makes sense because the sense of hearing is actually, scientifically, putting together separate sound waves. Your brain puts them together to make a logical whole. And that is the concept of drash, taking different parts, comparing and contrasting and putting them together to make a logical whole. And that leads us, obviously, with sod, which means tam and taste. And just like the Medrash says, taste is different in that taste must be internalized. 
taste cannot be sensed only from the outside until I ingest it, until it's part of me, I cannot sense it at all. Even and the real difference, and this is the real, the point that Rav Tzadok, this is his main point, is that taste differs always from person to person. Even if you are sharing the same food, each mouthful is different and unique. And because each mouthful is different and unique, it cannot be shared. The part of Torah that is called sod is the part that belongs to that person and that person only. It is his unique connection to Torah. It is not a secret because some people don't know it. It's a secret because I could not tell anyone, even if I tried, and no one can tell it to me. Each person has to discover it for himself. And that is why, that is where the halachos of teaching Kabbalah or Sod come from. The Mishnah in Chagiga that describes when one may teach different aspects of Torah ends with Maaseh Merkava, which is a part of Yechezkel, which according to basically everyone um, is referring to Kabbalah or Sod. And the Mishnah in Chagiga says that Torah Hanistar, that Kabbalah, um, cannot even be taught to one person. Meaning, it tells each part of Torah how many people you can teach it to, and he says, Ma'asem Merkava cannot even be taught to one. So what does that mean? How does anyone get it? Instead, it says, how do you teach it? Chacham mevin me'atzmo. A chacham, a wise person, will understand it from himself. So what should his teacher do? His teacher, according to the Mishnah, should give over Rashi Prakim, which means an outline. It means that the teacher should guide him. The teacher should tell him, look there, think about that, say, you know, compare these two things. And the way that Rabbi Tatz actually describes it, which is a great way of describing it, you speak around it until eventually you fall in. That is what sod is. Sod does not mean it's like a sentence written in a little box that's wrapped up and put away. And when you're worthy, you can see what's inside. Sod is something that is a secret in and of itself. It's something that cannot be shared because it's something that cannot be expressed. And Rav Shimon Bar Yochai was the father of Sod. But his connection to this aspect of Torah was obviously mostly within what we call Torah Sinistar and Kabbalah, that whole fourth section of Torah. But really, he also gave that aspect or that taste, if you will, to every part of Torah. That was his contribution to Torah. What does that mean, the part of Torah that corresponds to te'ima or to taste? Rav Shimon Bar Yochai, if you look even in his um, contribution, in his and where he's quoted in the Gemara and the Mishnah, etc., I can I'll give a few examples. But his approach to Torah was that a uh, one of innerness and one of connection. And for example, Rav Shimon is famous for, and this is a direct being Dorish Taima Dikra. That means he extrapolated reasons for mitzvos. Now, we only do, we do mitzvos because we are obligated to do so. And we do not change our obligation for a mitzvah based on the reason for the mitzvah. And so I'm not, uh, I hope that's not the impression that I'm giving now. There is discussion within the Gemara as to whether or not one can do so. Now, again, what does that mean? And it's if you think if you if you pay attention to the words, it really is so amazing. Dorish taima dekra, ta means a taste. We learn the reasons for mitzvos not to decide when they're applicable. We learn the reasons for mitzvos in order to give ourselves a personal connection. 
it's called a taste because it is what allows me to connect to it and to feel that personal connection to it and to enjoy it. When we learn reasons or deeper meanings of mitzvot, we can connect to it individually. This is true for us in terms of our individual connection to Torah as well. Each individual, you can only do this if you learn the Torah itself. You can only do this after amassing knowledge, after going through Pshat, Remez, and Drash. You can't possibly connect to something that you don't know. But we can connect to once we learn and understand all parts of Torah in a way that is individual, in a way that is our personal connection to it. And when we connect to it on such a deep level, it is something that we cannot and even should not be able to explain or give over to another because it's our own and it's our unique and personal connection. And everyone should be able to connect to some aspect of Torah in that way. And that is what the Ari means when he says it's essential to every person's journey. I'm sorry, I didn't quote the person. Ravaran Lapiansky says that that's what the Ari says is essential to every person's journey in this world. Not that everyone needs to learn Kabbalah, but that everyone must connect to some part of Torah and hopefully more parts of Torah in a way that is so deep and such an individual connection that it becomes yours and it becomes, it's so much yours that it's like taste. It's something that you could not possibly give over to someone else to have that deep individual internal connection to Torah that is unique. And that is something that we can all have and that we can all connect to. The Koach of Te'ima, of Sod, is the deepest part of Torah, understanding of Hashem and his intentions in this world. That is something that most of us have no connection to. But there is a part of that that we can connect to the revealed part of Torah. And that is Pnimius. That is innerness. That is, I am, yes, we must do Torah Sanigla first. We must learn and amass as much knowledge and actively act on that knowledge as much as possible. But we also need to develop an, our individual connection to Torah. My Ti'ima is something that no one else can have. Pnimius is something that cannot be shared. How do we do that? How do we connect to that part of Torah? And the way that we connect to that part of Torah is by developing the inner deeper parts of ourselves. There is a part of each individual person, because no person is extra, that is unique and different and hidden. And each person has their own contribution to this world that they can make and nobody else can. And that deep inner self is something that cannot be put into words, but can only be experienced. The same way Torah has a chela kanistar, so do we. And that part must become connected to Hashem. But it has to be developed first. We have to develop and connect to that inner part of ourselves before we can work on connecting to that inner part of Hashem. The Mikhtav Me'eliyahu explains that we each have two different ways of sensing and looking at the world. A mabat chitzoni, which means an outer outlook, which is logic, verbal expression, senses, experience, and a mabat pnimi, an internal outlook which is something deeper and experiential that a person cannot put into words, okay? And the example that he gives is that we all know that we exist, even though I can't explain it or prove it logically. Now, we, our mabat chitzoni is, and I want to stress this, this is not negative. We often are used to word, hearing the word chitzonius, which means external externalness, which again is not a word, um, as negative. And there are situations in which it's negative, but that's not our topic. That's not what we're talking about. Um, it's not something negative. 
that's the way that we function in this world. That's the way that we do mitzvos maisios, which means mitzvos that we do with our body, that we do physical mitzvos. Those are very positive things. However, we also have a mabat pnimi, which is a way that we connect to other people and to spirituality, if we allow ourselves to. And the truth is, is that in the world we live in, it's really not easy. Because we live in a world, and again, I wish I could go into this, but for time's sake, I can't. Specifically, the world that we live in, the world of Galos Edom, the exile of Edom, which is the Galos of Esav, which is all about Chitonius, which is all about the outside, and is symbolized by the pig with his split hooves, but no internal kosher symbol. In the world that we live in, we are conditioned to only see chitzonius, to only see what's on the outside. Whoa, sorry. Tova? Hmm. I'm here. What happened? I don't know. I started You're here. fine. Just uh, somebody uh, got unmuted. You're good. Oh, okay. Sorry. I thought you were trying to contact me. Okay. No, you're good. Um, we are only see chitzonius. Only things that can be defined and seen by something else. So anything that I can't share with somebody, anything that I can't explain to somebody, just doesn't mean anything. And therefore, we foster and we develop that mabat chitzoni, but we don't develop our mabat pnimi, our inner outlook. We only develop our outer look, our look. And therefore, that's how we continue to live. But there are so many worlds that exist within. And we have so much depth and so much available inside of ourselves. And we are just missing out. We do, and we do, we're just missing out. And we're not only missing out on what is, we're not only missing out on that unique connection to Torah, although that's a big thing to miss out on. We're also missing out on knowing ourselves. We define ourselves by the outside, by what other people can feel and experience. Now, those things are important. Chitzonius is the right way, is good. That's experience and collaboration with others in Avodah Hashem. We are not monks. We do not believe in serving God in a corner by ourselves. That is, we believe in serving God together. And that's amazing. And we are currently bereft of that opportunity. And it is a negative, And we want that back. But I would like to read to you the words of Mechtav Me'eliyahu, because he's a Litvak, and I need you to hear this from a Litvak, <laughs> who says the following. He says, yes, chitzonius in the right way is what life's all about. We're all supposed to be learning Torah, Torah Sanigla, revealed Torah. We're all supposed to be doing mitzvot together as a whole. But he says the following. He has an article called Chitzonius Uprimius Bikimu HaMitzvos. Outwardness and inwardness, again, I know those are not words, within fulfilling mitzvos. And he says the following. He gives a long mush, he gives a mushal, which I'm not going to tell you right now, in terms of the way that we connect to our public service of God and how that compares to the private service of God. And he says the following. This is also true when it comes to serving God. Hahit argenut v'shituf peula, organization and collaboration, letachlit zo, for the purpose of serving God, hein tachlit kabalat ol malchut shamayim, hein, oh sorry, hein tchilat kabalat ol malchut shamayim. This is the beginning of accepting on ourselves the yoke of heaven, meaning this is the beginning of our connection to Hashem. Ve'al yadam ba hatzibur lebasof liyedei koach pnimi. And through serving Hashem in public with other people, eventually you will get to what your real goal is, which is koach hapnimi, connecting in the inner sense. This is not chasidus. Okay? We must absolutely, and it's a goal in and of itself, to perform mitzvahs, to perform mitzvahs with other people, to perform mitzvahs publicly. But we cannot forget about our individual connection with Hashem. That is something that's, and if we don't, as he says, if we don't keep our eye on the ball, we can totally forget where we're headed. We can serve Hashem with other people and forget that our ultimate goal is our personal connection with Hashem. And we'll be doing great things and we'll be rewarded for those great things, but we'll be missing out on an ikr, on a main part 
of ourselves, which is our very individuality and our unique contribution to the world that the Ari was talking about at the beginning. Okay, now I just want to make something clear. I am not talking about anything heebie-jeebie or meditation or chanting or levitating or anything that, and if you like those things, go for it. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that every person has to have a connection to something that involves something more kind of fluffy and spiritual and waving back and forth. That's not the point. (laughs) What it does mean is that everyone has an aspect of them that is totally different and unique. That is the source of your unique soul. The purpose of having a unique soul is to connect to Hashem in a way that is completely unique and thus make a contribution to this world that no one else can make. But you can only do that if you are first aware of and connect to that part of yourself. Connection with Hashem that can be fostered and made deeper within Torah and Halacha, because that's the way that Hashem told us to connect to Him, must be done by first, or I shouldn't say first, by concurrently developing who we are in order to connect to him. And we need to deepen that connection constantly. Unfortunately, we really can get lost, especially in the world that we live in. And we've gotten very lost. And part of the reason, as I mentioned, because the world that we live in does not stress developing the inside. But let's talk about practicality and leave philosophy. What happens to us? We start to focus only on the outside and not connecting to Pneumius and who we really are. Why does this happen? There are probably infinite reasons why this happens, but let's discuss two. And I really think that these are two that are really main things. And the reason I want to discuss them is because I really think now is such an amazing opportunity to work on them. The first is habit. We are all so busy, even of us, those of us who are not busy, we are so busy and programmed that we don't stop to think if the things that we are doing are reflections of who we are and who we want to be. The second reason is because we are so deeply affected by the perception of those around us. Pressure, jealousy of others, all kinds of influence from other people, but most of all, really, people's perceptions of who we are and the automatic feeling or reflex to live up to other people's expectations and perceptions. The corresponding solutions to those two things are for habit, being forced out of our regular routine. In Machshava, we call that dchak which means stress or need or force. When Hashem forces us against our will out of the routine we have chosen, and I say chosen with, um, in quotes, because usually it's not such a cognitive choice. It's just many of our routines are things that we've fallen into and then just kept going. For perception of those around us, the antidote is removal from those influences. And a person can really do this voluntarily or can be forced out of it. And I think you see where I'm going with this. Okay, so let's talk about the first. Being forced out of our regular routine to break us from habit. And why this works in terms of self-discovery. I understand why it works in terms of changing action. But why does it work in terms of self-discovery? So the first thing in terms of being broken from habit is really way more dramatic And I really believe the second one is the one that we have to focus on more. So we're going to start with the one that we're going to start with the one that we have, I think, that we have to focus on less. But I do still think it's very important. Tachak. Tachak means Hashem, Hashem forces me out of my routine. And when I need to put the pieces back together, I have the opportunity for self-discovery. My point here is not just growing through pain. That is a legitimate point and a different one. It's taking the forced change as a chance to reevaluate. We don't realize how hard this is to do in our regular lives, or maybe we do, okay? But we keep going even to silly things, like the same supermarket, because this is just where we go. And we don't necessarily think about quality or convenience or price because it just becomes so much part of our routine. 
The problem is, is that we do that with our self-development also, meaning these are just the things that I do, even if they're excellent things, even if they're amazing things, and you should definitely keep doing them. But we don't connect them to our insides because we're not constantly evaluating what we're doing. We want to be who we really are. We want to express our inner selves. So when something gets moved out of place, what we can do is reevaluate with intention instead of just putting something back on autopilot. Now, this can obviously happen in tragic ways, which we never want. A woman who lost her husband at way too young an age told me recently that she sees the difference between who she is now and who she was then, and that there's no comparison, that she is so much more developed as a person now. And she said, it's not to take away from my husband, the opposite. I didn't have to do so many things then because he took care of them. She told me I have to be assertive now because there's no one else who's going to assert themselves for my children. That's not my nature. I have to be double as a love. I have to do double as a loving and caring parent because they only have one. I have to work on my relationship with Hashem in a way that I never did before because honestly, I have no one else upon whom to rely. The point, again, is not that she was forced to grow. The point was that she was forced to reevaluate and to ask herself, I cannot rely on what I used to do. I have the opportunity now to put the pieces back differently and to access parts of myself I didn't know I had. Just tell you one more story that I remember when I listened to this story, it was a my husband used to go to a shear every Thursday night in Israel. And I used to wait by the door till he used to come back with the recording because I like the share so much. And I think this was like the fourth one. And I listened to this story probably six or seven times. And I cried each and every time. This, this Rebbe of my husband said that he was many years before, once very close with a Bachar, who, uh, I mean, a young boy who was learning in his yeshiva, who got married. And this Bachar came from a very dysfunctional home, and he also married a girl from a very dysfunctional home. And they had very different ways of dealing with their past. She became extremely controlled and a real perfectionist. And her way of dealing with the disorder that was her early life was to make sure that everything was extremely orderly. And he was the exact opposite. Totally laissez-faire about everything. They connected. They really liked each other. They got married. And, you know, as often happens with opposites. There's a great attraction at the beginning and things got difficult. And he was very involved in helping them. Um, They had one child and the wife was expecting her second. And one day he got a phone call from this man in the hospital. And he called, he said he could barely speak on the phone. He said they were all shocked. There was no indication of it during the pregnancy, but she just delivered a baby who has Down syndrome. And he said, can you please come to the hospital? He said, come to the hospital. He's like, I was close with them. I had a connection to them. I used to speak to them every so often, but okay. He's like, I asked me to come, so I came. And they were both distraught. And the wife just kept looking at him and saying, why? So this Rebbe of my husband's has a real personality. He kind of just like real straight shooter says it how it is. And he said, you know me. She asked me why. I wasn't going to say something silly about a, you know, that... Like something, something that anyone else would say. And you know what? They called me to the hospital. They wanted to hear what I have to say. So he said, it just popped into my head. And I said to her the following. He said, this child will never present well. She will never meet milestones. And she will never be the picture perfect child that you imagined. But she will give you nachas and joy through a smile, through affection, in different ways than you ever would have imagined. And they were quiet, and he got up and left. And he said he didn't hear from them for a year. He thought they were angry with him. He thought they were, and he didn't hear from them for a year. After a year, the Talmud, the student, calls him and asks him to come over. And the husband and wife are sitting there with their two little kids. And the husband, the student of his, turned to him and said, We cannot thank you enough. He said, our home is a different home. It is a place of joy and is a place of happiness. And we reached 
and tapped into parts of ourselves that we never knew we had. Someone who goes through something, who has their life changed, it doesn't have to be so dramatic. These are dramatic stories, but it doesn't need to be. This isolation has been extremely painful for some who have lost loved ones, who have, um, who have fear, who have lost jobs, who have all kinds of different difficulties. For some, a change in routine is dramatic and it's tragic and it's, you know, something that we would want to avoid on all costs. But a change in routine doesn't even need to be that way. For some people, they're experiencing this in a positive sense, but it is still a change of routine. A person who experiences a change of routine, who has a chance, basically, your pieces are all messed up. You have a chance to put back the pieces. So the question is, I need to rearrange my priorities. Who am I and what is important to me? And if I do that, the real me comes out. Whittling down priorities is an amazing way of getting to know yourself. I can't do everything. What are the things that I must do? What are the things that have to be a priority? You know, somebody has things that they want to accomplish, and sometimes they can be great things, but I have to decide which things are not only a priority, which things are real me? Which things are the things that I think that I have a unique contribution for that are going to develop who I am? I ha- and you could really be deciding on the same action either way, but when you do it in an intentional sense, an intentional way, it becomes an expression of self. And as someone can go through both of those stories I just told you and all the tragedies in the world, chas v'shalom, and the mundane, and just put blinders on and keep going. I have seen people go through Gehenna and come out the same way, only more entrenched in their ways. But Hashem broke our habits. Hashem broke our regular way of living, whether we like it or not. So let us take it as an opportunity. How much, and how much more so if it's uncomfortable or tragic? Let it not be for naught. We need to put the pieces back together anyway. Let us put one back in a better spot. Again, the point is not the change of action, but in the self-knowledge and perception. We can keep doing the same things, but we have to do them in a more intentional way after evaluating what really is. And my suggestion is pick one thing, just one, that has changed and put it back in place in a way that's more an expression of who you are and who you want to be. And not just because you've been doing that in the past. One tiny, tiny little thing, the smallest thing. Because once you get into that habit, in this way it's a good habit, of thinking in that sense, it will bleed all over. Okay, the second thing, and we are really running out of time, is other people's perception of us. So I'm going to give you a quick, quick, quick source in Chazal for how much people's perception of us affects us. The Gemara says that Lashon Hara kills three people. The person who speaks, the person who listens, and the person they're speaking about. So obviously the person who speaks and the person who listens are doing a chait. They're doing a sin. So it destroys them. But how is the third like the other two? The yesod of Lashon Hara, where it comes from, is a negative perception of the world. If I have this negative perception and that's reality to me, I must give it over. And I'm willing to accept other people's negativity. That obviously happens to one or two, one and two. But Rebbe Weinfeld, who had a, a shul across the street to where I used to live in Israel, said an amazing thing. He said that when it, the third person is also so affected, why? Because the natural way of a person is to be so affected by what people feel about them that they become defined, about, defined by it. So just like the first two need an antidote, for their negative perception of the world, so does the third. And that person's antidote to their to, to what kills them is being independent in the way that they think of themselves, meaning have an independent, positive perception of self. We are so incredibly affected by the opinions of others and often is subconscious. 
And it's, it's really true for even the most independent or contrary of people. Because when we define ourselves by what we are not, we are still dependent on others for self-definition. So I really want to do a side point here that I'm not going to do because we don't have time, <laughs> which is seeing our loved ones in the perceptions of others, which is really, unfortunately, a bad situation nowadays that we can talk about another time. But more importantly, this is what we do to ourselves. We allow what other people think and what other people expect of us to define us. And this is so sad because we are missing out on knowing ourselves. We think to ourselves, what do other people expect of me? Do they expect me to be funny? Do they expect me to be the from one or the not from one? Do they expect me to have a cynical line right now? Or do they expect me to say something in this way or that way? And we basically perform based on other people's expectations. But you know what's so amazing right now? No one's watching. When you are silent or cut off from other people's perception, you have an amazing opportunity to meet yourself. Who am I without everyone's expectations? Without my own expectations of myself in public? Without the way I feel the need to present myself? Either I remember this story as a child. It probably is like an invented memory, like I heard it from one of my brothers and just inserted in my memory based on how old I was when the person who told it was Nifter. But either way, <laughs> there was a Rebbe uh, who lived in Israel who had a connection to my family. And when I was little, he used to come visit us when we went for Yantif. And he told this story that stayed with me, especially as a teacher. He said in very, very short form that he had a student who came to yeshiva and just was totally uninterested and absolutely insisted that nothing the yeshiva could do could change him. So he was there for a while and he started to learn and he started to grow. And it was amazing, very, very slow, but very internal transformation. And after two years, two and a half years, this boy was in the base medrash all day, keeping Shabbos, keeping kosher, really just very into things and very internally connected to things. The one thing that hadn't changed was his dress. And he didn't want to, the, 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 Reb, the Rebbe's name was Rabbi Mandel Kern, he didn't want to address it because he didn't want, his, his way was not to pressure. But it was so incongruous with the rest of his actions that one day he met him outside of yeshiva and he just decided, you know, I'm going to talk to him about it. And the boy started to cry and he looked at him and he said, Rebbe, he's like, do you know how much I want to put on a pair of tzitzis? He said, I spent 18 years until I got here making fun of people who wore tzitzis. What's everyone going to think when I put it on? I'm going to be the sellout. I'm going to be the guy that I made fun of. And you know what's amazing? Right now, nobody's watching. You can be whoever you want. You can be the best you. And no one's going to make fun. And no one's going to say, but didn't you? Or didn't you say? Or didn't this? Or didn't that? No one's going to say anything. Because no one's watching. The truth is, even usually they're not watching so much, as much as our perception. But we have an opportunity now to self-define, to say, what are those things that I want to be? Right now, we can't express ourselves on the outside. We don't even have that, we don't even have that choice. I guess you can if you stand with a phone and your Instagram feed all day, but don't do that. <laughs> What am I, who am I, without the way I feel the need to present myself? We can't perform for other people now. So let us use that as an opportunity. So a suggestion, try and find one way in which you have not been self-aware, in which you have been behaving a certain way because that's your mode, that's what's expected. You can't walk into work one day and just be another person. But now you can, because you're in your house. And because really, the people around you love you and want to see you grow. And that's really true always, but it's easier now. If you've already been doing these things, so don't do too much more, just connect to it more. 
These things are such opportunities. And I'll leave you from one line in the piyut of Bar Yochai, which is the song that's in the Siddur that we sing on Lag Ba'omer. In one of the stanzas at the begin, beginning, it says that Bar Yochai, you, the place where you have escaped to was a good place to run away to. And it uses two language, two different words for running away. One is nisa, lanus, which means to run, and one is bricha, which means to run away. It really seems to mean the same thing. And really it means something different. Lanus means to run away from something. I'm scared of something, so I just run. doesn't matter where I run to. Bericha means I'm running toward something. We are in a position that we can't change. We have no control over the situation. But the way we behave toward it can be a nisa, can be running away, meaning I'm just forced here. I'm just trying to get through it. Or it can be a bericha, which is intentional. And they're the same thing. Rav Shimon Bar Yochai had to run to that cave they were going to kill him. But he ran to that cave as a bericha. I am choosing to be in that cave in isolation and to develop myself. I am choosing a situation that Hashem has put me in and I will use it intentionally in the way that to develop something that I couldn't develop on the outside. Even if we're in a noisy house with no breaks, we are still free from some aspects of the outside world. Let us use that opportunity to develop parts of ourselves that we need that freedom and that isolation in order to be able to develop. Let us run there with intention. And then we can take that part of ourselves that we've developed and use it as we should use all things to connect to Hashem in a deeper, more meaningful way. I'm happy to take questions. I don't know. If it's very, very late. I'm sorry for how long it was. I don't know if I'm muted or unmuted. Uh, okay. I thought we were taking text questions, so I wasn't listening. Go ahead, please. This is just so much. <laughs> sorry. I mean, I'm very grateful. First of all, I'm in a whole different position, I think, than most of you. I'm over I'm not old, but I'm quite older, and I have an underlying something. So I'm in the house, and it's a nice house, and I have a beautiful garden, and so far, so good. Um, my husband and I haven't, we even play games now. But you said so much, and it was so meaningful. Did you record it so I can hear it again? I hope it's so. It's recorded. Yes, 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 